welcome to episode two of the Honor of the Podcast. This is a special bonus podcast and I hope you guys enjoy it. So this is going to be an episode in conversation with my dad, all our family, um, and he came over about, what, two weeks ago? Uh, 7th of November we recorded this and I was going to save it as I planned originally for the first week of December, but with International Men's Day coming up and today on the 19th, I thought it'd be great to actually share this a bit early. So I've been working hard to get it um, finished and record these intros and things like that. So I really hope you enjoy them. A lot of work's gone into it. And I thought I would do this on International Men's Day in a conversation with my own dad. And I think International Men's Day is a wonderful thing. Um, I try to sort of draw some attention or awareness to it every year. And just like we have International Women's Day, March 8th, or International Day of the Child on November 20th, I think it's just great that um, we celebrate today of all days what it is to be a man wherever you are in the world and I thought it would be a special conversation to have with my dad and share with you all so I hope you enjoy and if you'd like to see more about International Men's Day or anything that happens with that I've left a link to their website um, in the episode description and the same from November and if you would like to donate there or anywhere else or just see what's happening that's the place to do it Um, and without further ado the interview I should state just before we get into it that this episode was recorded Saturday 7th of November my dad is part of my extended household and hence he was able to come over in person. Hope everyone is doing well despite these times of COVID and are staying safe. Enjoy. Okay, hello, hello. Welcome to the Honor podcast where I, your host, Nathan F. Molly will be telling and listening to different stories in the hope that we can all start to see each other as more at the same God-sized and different in our own. Today's guest is all F. Molly, my dad. Um, I thought that as I'm kicking off this journey of learning in the podcast, it's important to take a look at where I come from. And then in that sense, for best or for worse, we are larger who we are because of the lives, mindsets and experiences of our parents. And if teaching started at the home, then I'm happy that I had two lovely parents who loved and taught me well growing up. Uh, and I'm often told that I take after my dad, so he's probably a good place to start for figuring out how I understand the world. Without further ado, the interview. And um, also, before we start, I'm going to just call my dad dad because podcast or not, it's just kind of weird to say first names. But anyhow, dad, how are you? I'm good. Good. Good drive over, a safe trip. Yes, it was good. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to coming here today to have this chat with you and to record my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really fun for me because uh, I'm sure as people listening to this will understand if you are a student that lives you know, away from your home or just COVID restrictions generally and you don't have many people inside, it's really refreshing to have someone in your flat to talk to. For contrast, I've been living on my own for the last month. So like, there's something about just having someone sitting across from you for a chat. It's just, it's novel, and it almost sounds sad to say that, given it has only been like, well, only been eight to nine months. But it's it's nice to be doing this again. So I'm definitely excited for it. And um, so yeah, this this interview is mainly, as you said, the kind of detail and timeline your life, because of course. Other than being my dad, you had a life before this, and obviously I've got a twin brother, Joseph, and an older sister, Lydia. I was thinking, I wonder if the experience is kind of this, kind of the same as a parent, but like your life before having kids and after having your first kid, I, I imagine it's 
somewhat not much more different having more kids than one you just kind of I wonder if there's a point where it's like have kids and don't have kids and it's just your life changes after the first kid and ends therefore sort of yeah something like that and but no we've never really talked about your life before all of that and it's the same with mom as well and it's just kind of like well you guys had life and you still had lives before and after you had kids it's just that we were here now and although you'll probably say that was life-changing massive and you know I'd like to think wonderful but all the same different than what it was before and so just to start could you like how would you timeline your life if you were to give us I guess milestones or just to give people an idea of your kind of history and time sense how would you do that okay I will timeline my life before and after <laughs> before coming to the UK okay and after arriving at the UK sure. I'll timeline it within those two borders okay um the before I came to the UK I'll start with um I was born in Ibadan city in Nigeria and um I grew up in Lagos city uh and um I was born into a very um great family of um, a Muslim family, which um, dad and mom were when they were alive. And um, I'm seven of 20 siblings. And um, we had a very lovely upbringing. Um, I'm not making the most of this. We, we lived in um, a very affluent part of Lagos called Victoria Island. Mm -hmm. And um, dad, in as much as, um, um, is a unique father in terms of uh, for the average Nigerian dad to send 20 children to boarding school, fee paying school. Oh, they all went. Yeah. Oh. We, we, um, we all did. We all did. We went to boarding school and pay for all of that. He wasn't one for sort of um, um, sort of secretive till you were older, but mm -hmm. he was always concerned about our education and he made provision for everyone, whatever you wanted study he was prepared to help you achieve that because he believes that the best legacy he could have given us was our education mm. and so um and that's how my coming to the uk became indeed um an actuality when i finished my o levels in nigeria dad had always been interested in what is it you want to do when you finish your o levels and i was conscious that I wanted to either read medicine or pharmacy. And dad was of the opinion that if I was going to read medicine or pharmacy, it's best I studied abroad. Mm -hmm. So these were building up to my coming to the UK. But before we get to the UK, like I said, I'm seven of um, 20 siblings. <laughs> and that, when I ever say that to anyone, it tends to make them also, wow, are you all from the same mother? No, we're not all from the same mother, but we are all very great brothers and sisters. We were then when we still are. Mm -hmm. My oldest brother is 71. My youngest sister is 34. And we all keep very much in touch with each other, even though we live in different parts of the world, some in Canada, mm -hmm. some in the US, some of us in the UK. The balance of us in Nigeria and a neighboring country called Republic of Benin. But one thing we do have and which we I'm very grateful for as children of um, Elijah Pemulu is the fact that 
he'd always made it for us to continuously be around each other. Even though we may be of different age and we may live in different parts of the world, it was always his idea that you are all my children mm -hmm. and no one child is more important than the other child, provided you indeed um, are willing to go the mile, is willing to go the extra mile with you. Okay. And that I was commending for, and I've said before, if I can be half the man that my dad was by his own experience and his examples, then I would have achieved something very great. Mm. Because um, I remember one of my brothers who said he wanted to become a mechanic. And in the, when we were growing up, wanting to become a mechanic was always the last resort of yeah, what you did. So yeah. It's the last result of what you did. But that didn't birth an eye over that. It just says, you want to be a mechanic. Okay, if you want to be a mechanic, you must be the best mechanic. Mm. I will arrange with some of my contacts in Austria for you to learn and become a proper apprentice mechanic rather than just going yeah. to a mechanic yeah. school. And you'll be well trained as a mechanic. So he arranged for this my mm. brother to go to Austria to learn how to be a proper mechanic. And um, that to me was very commendable because it wasn't sort of saying, well, unless you went to university, yes. you were not yes. doing something good. He said, okay, if you decided you want to be a mechanic, then you better be the best mechanic in town. Mm. And that I, I really commend him for. And it was never a dad for saying, oh, um, only girls should be educated or only boys should be educated. Every one of us, um, in my cohort of siblings, we have medics, we have dentists, we have engineers, we have computer scientists, we have market traders, we have uh, taxi drivers, we have different people that constitute my siblings as their family siblings. So um, that I, I must say, I, I take after my dad in that sense that he was always seeking to bring the potential in every of his child. He never once said, oh, because you wanted to, like I said, if you want to be a mechanic or you want to become a doctor, there's no room for you. Everyone had room to be who they want to be, provided they are willing to apply themselves. Okay. So that has influenced my life a lot. And um, so when I then came to the UK, which is um, in 1979, November the 7th, which oh, makes it 41, 41 years. Oh, but you were 17 when you left. I was 17 yeah. when I left, yeah. So um, that certainly has been my own mantra in that sense that every child deserves the best opportunity that he or she can get, and no one should be stopped from achieving their full potential because of resource mm. or love. Um, for a Nigerian dad, I certainly commend my dad as a, a unique father mm. um, because we, we knew of other fathers who were just as well off as he was and never really took much care of the children that they brought into the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was not the case for dad. And I think that as for me being my hallmark of what I would want to become when I became a father. Mm -hmm. So I drew all my own sort of learning from watching my father. And of course, you could not uh, just live your life with your father. There was always mom there. Mm -hmm. In the typical Nigerian setting, moms are in the 
reserve space of um, making sure that you are fed, you're clothed, and just the sort of day-to-day -day want comes more from mom. Mm -hmm. But in mom's own special way, she was very unique, very unique in the fact that she always looked out for you and looked out for others. My mom is the kind that if she had the last one penny on her, she would give it to someone who might need it more than she does. And that level of um, kindness also has influenced my life because um, when mom, there was one time mom was challenged by one of my younger sisters that, why do you feed all the children in the street? And um, to which mom said, count yourself blessed because you live in this house, you have food on the table, you have a roof over your head. That's not everyone. These streets, kids that I feed and I make food for, you don't know whether this food is the only food they're gonna eat before night. Mm. But they come after school and mom just makes a big bowl of rice or food for them and yeah. feed them. And when mom died, there were lots of testimonies to that fact that your mom was the best person I ever met. She looked after my kids without asking for anything in return. Mm. And that also has influenced my life because our generosity has borne so many fruits and has influenced all of our lives as we were growing up and still does, even now. Mm, nice. Yeah, I guess that's really nice. I, I guess I, I should say for anyone listening that there'll be parts of the story I've heard and in ways and in stories growing up and others that like here is for the first time hearing it and I guess you know even when I said about you know, teaching starting at the home and you know and in main part is for me to find out what that was like for you but of course even for you that doesn't start with you but with those who came before you and I think my grandmother was like what's the name that I normally give these guys and and so it's really nice to think about I guess because even we went because you, you took us to Lagos 2011. Yeah. I was 13, but it was 2011. Uh -huh. um, and so, like, and I think we said that at the time, how strange it was to, like, because we stayed in maybe four, mm -hmm. four or five different places, and it was, I think, a two-week trip. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we, we saw, like, <laughs> I remember we went to our, our Aunt Paige's house, and that was when Joseph and I shared a bed, but it was a in a bedroom that was like in a wing of a house and it was like it had its own laundry room and shower and then hallway and then it brought you to the living room and it was, it was wild but we also like the three of us shared um a bedroom and a three bed house and when I three sorry a three room house mm -hmm. not three bed like one bed bathroom and then the living kitchen room was all one and mm -hmm. um, I guess I remember <laughs> And it's funny because I think it's in some ways a really interesting pushback against, I mean, I think most people should know that it's an outdated thing that you know, all Nigerians are all, uh, people of African descent are the same or anything like that anyways. But even for us, being children of Western upbringing and going back there and kind of like, like kind of experiencing how our cousins were growing up and kind of seeing how different this was even just by the culture we've grown up in. And um, I think we said this at the time, I remember like um, meeting some of our cousins and like it was a sort of fun ribbing joke to be called the white cousin. And I always thought that was a bit like, I mean, okay, sure. 
Um, that was typically because of my my Western habits and not really, I mean, I'm still not particularly a fan of spicy food, as you fine well know. Um, and even for all the jollof rice that we had, for me, it always had to be either fried rice or it had to be whatever was the like latest jollof rice that we could find. Um, so, yeah, looking back, it was, I think, fun. Fun, they said. I don't know how I felt about the jokes, but people laugh, so we'll say it was funny. Um, but, okay, so you're, you're in, you've moved now, so you're in London, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it was, was it, if I got this right, this was to finish boarding school, or it was uh, I'd straight to uni? I'd, I'd finished boarding school, and then this was just starting my A-levels education um, in the UK. Mm -hmm. And, um, because as I said before, I'd wanted to read medicine or pharmacy. So um, then all my post O-level education continued in the UK. I enrolled in um, a college in London to study for my A-levels in physics, chemistry, and biology, which are the core subjects you needed for medicine or pharmacy. Okay. And so my journey in the UK started with being an A-level student um, in London and um, with a view to passing my A-levels to go and read medicine or pharmacy. And so the journey started from there. And one of the key um, note of that time was the fact that um, having started my A-levels, I was also very conscious of the fact that um, though I was a very avid and ardent Muslim, Mm -hmm. um, that will pray five times a day, even though I was in the UK, mm -hmm. I was becoming very conscious of, I've always been conscious of Jesus Christ and his claims on anyone's life. Um, but what I was never convinced of was the fact that either his, whether his claim is right or not, in the fact that he says, I am the way, the truth and the life, and there's no way unto God except by me in John 14, 6. Mm -hmm. And I used to say that, well, I've, I've always been a good Muslim and I'm training to be an imam. I would always be a good Muslim. Mm -hmm. And I used to say to these friends I met at college um, that it wouldn't matter what you had said or what you hadn't said to me, I'm never going to become a Christian because <laughs> I've always been a good Muslim. I, I was training to be an imam. Um, but they used to say to me, well, we, we can't make you a Christian. <laughs> Only the love of God can reach out to you. But we're just saying to you that Jesus loves you and he, he desires that you respond to his claims on your life. And this persisted all through my A-levels for the two years of my A-levels in my college in London. But at a particular fateful Friday, um, which I, I about, all I know is the Friday in August in 1981, um, I um, was praying, my, I was saying my last evening prayers as a Muslim, mm -hmm. and um, I became aware of the presence of the Lord in my room, and I just said, in the name of Jesus, on my prayer mat. Mm -hmm. And I remember going down to my older sister who has since passed away now saying to her, I'm going to become a Christian. Of which she was very happy. Okay. And equally, she was a bit sorry. 
happy that I have decided of my own volition to become a Christian. It's sad that the same treatment that was meted out to her by dad mm. probably awaits me because for a Muslim, you can become anything else that you might have wished to have become. But to become a Christian, yeah. it's almost like an anathema. But I, at the time, wasn't conscious of the gravity of my decision in terms of what it might mean to my relationship with my dad. For, for one second, for, for those listening, I guess what might be useful to point out here is Nigeria, um, I guess ethnically and religiously are pretty much split, split over the capital of Bija, over the north towards the Sahara being majority Muslim, I think, people, and to the south being Christian and being Yoruba that's around Lagos. Uh, I, to be honest, I don't know the other. Yoruba in the southwest and the evils in the southeast. But generally, it's a very, almost quite strict Christian-Muslim split across um, the capital, which I guess almost makes it more interesting that Grandpa was a Muslim and devout Muslim and what is the Christian heartland south of Nigeria? It's mixed. The south, the south, the southwestern side is mixed Christian, mixed Muslim. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, when you go, I just thought for context, it's probably important to understand. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that 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 um, I, the gravity of my decision was a bit lost on me in terms of what that might mean to my life as a young man living in the UK who has now decided to become a Christian. Um, You're that nineteen. Oh, yes, 19 then. And that that was another um, timeline that is of note in my growing up mm. because it was going to be a moment that defined what I'm going to become or not yeah. in terms of my decision to follow Christ was going to cost me more than I could have realized at that point yeah. because I, of course... For a while, I could not bring myself to tell my dad that I decided to become a Christian and that I found Jesus Christ to be the way, mm-hmm. the truth, and the life. Uh, but, but when I eventually told him of my decision to continue to follow Jesus Christ, that became um, a, a kind of traumatic space and time in my life mm-hmm. where my dad feels that he can no longer be my dad and I can no longer be his son by reason of my decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, from that time onwards, that then marked another era in my life where for the next um, 13 years, I was going to continue my life as an orphan mm-hmm. in this world, whilst I have a father. Um, my mother, though, she was always a great loving mother. She could not really help me financially, but all the love that she could give me, she gave. She gave me plenty of love and just said, look, son, I know you've decided to follow Jesus Christ. I know we subscribe to him as prophet Isa, and you believe that he's Jesus, the son of God. Um, but that doesn't stop you being my son. It's just um, I can't really yeah, help you much, you much yeah. financially, but I would always reserve all my love for you. Mm-hmm. And that, that grounded me because... Um, I, I was certain that this Jesus Christ and his claim on my life is real, even though I don't have all the roadmap to the future. But I was conscious of one thing that 
because of his many promises, I can believe in what he said that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So not long after I told my dad and he made his position clear that I am like to mm -hmm. him, like a dead son. Mm -hmm. um, I remember sitting in my room one day and reading Psalms 27 and verse 10, where he says, when my mother and my father shall forsake me, the Lord will pick me up. Mm -hmm. And I remember pointing to that part and saying, God, this is what I feel like right now. I feel like I'm an orphan in this world mm -hmm. without a father, though I do have a mother who cannot help me much financially. So I, I said, God, you've got to prove yourself to me based on mm -hmm. this. This is what you say is the promise. Yeah. You know, please come forth. Yes, please come forth. Yeah, that's it. And um, so I remember having prayed that prayer and um, going to the church that I've been going to and telling um, the people there that this is the decision that took place over the weekend. I, for the present, I feel like um, an orphan and um, almost instantly, I'd, I'd always had many mothers and many fathers, <laughs> but now more so I have more mothers and more fathers and more brothers and more sisters by the reason of the decision. And that way they came forth. Uh-huh. And that became a, a, a solid support for me to have as a 19-year-old young man just trying to make his way through the UK, starting uni, and how do I find fees to pay for my university? How do I find money to pay for my rent? Mm -hmm. God always came through right on time. And in many diverse ways, he did come through for me. And um, I'll share some of those in a moment. Okay. So, wow. Yeah, no, I, again, so I didn't know some of that. No, I mean, I think I think you'd maybe mentioned once about, but I just always remember growing up that it was more that there was something between you and grandpa that was ever spoke about. And it was just, we didn't see him loads growing up, but we didn't. I guess I don't really know to what extent it was to do with that. It, it, I think it was almost just like a, a fun fact growing up to me, you know, like that you were a Muslim and now you're a Christian. And I guess the punchline before we get to it is you're now also a pastor and not not even just um, a practicing devout Christian, but also a pastor who now teaches and leads others in that too. Um, so I guess it's... I think for me, just quite interesting because obviously we talk about this now, what, 30, almost 40 years after the fact. Mm -hmm. um, so like obviously I, I can't put myself there mentally other than just understanding you saying it now and just kind of going like, I guess that it really does, I think for me, put the context of, you know, forsaking all others and, and following me, as Christ says, with the concept, you know, you know, if you come to follow me, but still love your brother, your mother, your sister, your father, then you cannot truly really follow me. And all these sorts of things that kind of, I think it's easy to read them in the Bible and either think, okay, that's a bit harsh or read them and think, I, I don't even really, I don't really understand what they're saying here. And kind of actually to hear that is kind of a very real implication for you for making that decision. And that's just encouraging for me to hear, I guess, even despite how difficult and traumatic that is. If, I guess if, if we take quick stock, so there's growing up in, 
So being born in Ibadan, and growing up in Lagos, um, moving to London, and then through A-levels, deciding to become a Christian after we're there, from devout Muslim, telling grandpa that not going, I mean, well at all, really. But then in that way, he said with Psalm 2710, and losing a father, per se, for lack of a better term, but gaining lots of fathers and mothers along the way, mm-hmm. which I guess is pretty interesting for me because that is, I think that to me, that feels like in part Nigerian culture to have that because like, even when I was talking to Lela last time, we spoke a bit about how like, can anyone kind of around the age of your mum or your dad is essentially an aunt or uncle relation or not. And mm-hmm. um, certainly in the church that, and um, the pastor of Glasgow City Church and the church I grew up going to, like, there's very much the culture there. And um, even though there's, there's a generally like, I think proportionally quite a high, high population of Nigerian diaspora and from other African nations too. And it was really international church um, there. And there was definitely that concept of like aunts and uncles kind of just popping up out of everywhere. And I think you know, I joked a little bit about kind of, there was always someone somewhere that remembers me at yay height, age six, doing something or other that, you know, I just kind of go, I mean, okay, sure. I, I don't really remember your name. I remember you kind of, but they remember me obviously far better than I remember them. And so there's always been that culture of looking out for each other, which I guess even almost especially now in COVID, I'm kind of realizing, because obviously I don't live at home and I've not lived at home for the last, well, what, four years? Mm-hmm. And that has included transcontinental, moving to China, moving back, calls, and then this is now my third privately owned flat to live in. Um, and so throughout, of course, I've been seeing you guys, you know, as often as kind of possible. Um, certainly major holidays and all the rest of it, but there has always been, especially now living here in Deniston, there's been a sense of community that I've not quite had in the same way. Well, it's been kind of, the community's been made up through the guys from the church I go to, Adelaide Place, and them living in Deniston. And yeah, just sort of whether it's visiting each other and, you know, thoughtful little guests and, you know, all these ways in which kind of that verse of coming to life for me and the people that I've met and seen and, and got to know. And so of course I've not I've not lost a I've not lost a parent in the same way, but that sort of we can't see each other every day, every week, the way the otherwise would. And even as I'm sure we'll touch on even the fact that you working at Dundee now, and obviously like you're you're not typically you weren't typically physically in the house Monday, Friday, or you came back Friday night. And um, again, Sunday morning, wait, Sunday evening, Monday morning, that sort of time. So like in some ways, making up parts of the village or the African proverb, a village, it takes a village to raise a child or more so that community that being made up. And I, I can, I guess, say it feels like quite a something fragmented, fractured sense, um, but it does all sort of fit and come together in the sense that I mean, as Christians, a lot of these guys were also Christians, there is that, but even for those that weren't, you know, for university friends that aren't, for conversations that happen in the street with people who I'll never see again, for all these ways in which people emotionally or spiritually or otherwise fed into your life and it kind of creates this web of which, I mean, they're all the villagers, aren't they? They're different ages, faces, sizes, 
not that matters but you know what i'm saying that they're all different shapes and sizes and they all feed into you with the experience that and the lives that have been bestowed upon them so it's it's kind of cool seeing that 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 has still um prevailed even in i would argue a more modern society that doesn't i think typically do as much as it may be used to to confer community amongst people um I mean, even within and without the church, or out with the church, because you can you can have people that go to a church but don't create a community. It's not the same thing. And um, yeah, that's interesting. So I guess okay. So where are we at now? So so now we're now we're firmly in London. We're at college. Well, call it. Well, was it a college? Because I didn't think King's College was, do we call yeah. that a college? Well, it's like, a university, it's a university. So I, I was now beginning my university education at um, University of Hertfordshire yeah. um, to read uh, biochemical pharmacology. And, um, but the, the whole point of journey on from days, I'm starting my journey as a Christian young man. <laughs> Uh, without the support of financial support of dad, but definitely a loving support of mom. Mm -hmm. And so over the four years, um, God came through in many ways that I can think of in terms of meeting my financial needs on a daily basis with either providing me with jobs or with people who just say, oh, the Lord says to me to bless you with this amount of money. And um, so I, I was able to, with a combination of uh, part-time jobs and people's blessings, were able to pay my way through uni and then graduated in 1985 um, with a second class degree, uh, two, two in um, biochemical pharmacology. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's um, one set of accomplishment and then it's um, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. uh, like any young person who's just graduated, I'm educated. What, what do I do next? Where do I find my right job or wherever? But before I, in fact, continue on these days, there is another um, point and statement that um, I wish to indeed put out here right now because um, um, the, the first time that I, as a young black man growing up in London, ever um, experienced any kind of overt racism mm -hmm. was at um, the A-Levels College Careers Advisor. Um, and um, I, I want to place that out here just to encourage any one of you might be listening that um, you are indeed um, what much more than you might have thought of yourself. So know your worth. I remember going for a careers um, advisory session with the careers tutor, saying to him that I wanted to read medicine or pharmacy. And so for that reason, I was studying for my A-levels in chemistry, physics, and biology, which I'd already passed my O-levels with in flying colors. And I remember the reply that he gave me, which till today still um, indeed um, beggars believe when I think of it. In that he said, um, you, you, you won't make it to be a doctor or a pharmacist. Maybe you should best think about going to become a carpenter. To which I was rather 
um, for one of better world flabbergasted that <laughs> if you are a careers advisor, yes. you are meant to raise a young person's view beyond where they are, not indeed click their wings. Mm -hmm. And um, so I stomped out of his office and said to him, well, thank you for your advice, but I'm not going to take your advice. I've always been certain that I want to read medicine or pharmacy. And so I went more determined to prove indeed that I, I can do what I wanted to do and I have the intellectual ability to do that. So for me, it was very heartwarming when I passed my degree and then I now wanted to go further in my studies to study for my master's in biopharmacy and my PhD in pharmacy. And so in between those journeys, then I, of course, like any young man, you have been working, you are making your way in life. Um, you begin to turn your attention to, I would love to get married. And um, how do I indeed choose who, who to marry and what is the criteria for me as a Christian young man? Mm -hmm. So in between, um, Starting my master's program and um, completing my PhD, I, I met um, Pamela, who's now my wife and has been for the last 30 years. Yeah. You may listen to this. Yeah. We hope to. Uh -huh. But um, what I found really interesting was that um, I, as a young man, together with my flatmates who are identical twins, actually. Ken and Sammy. Yeah, Ken and Sammy. I remember we praying for, indeed, for God to direct us and to guide our paths to meet the right lady for our lives. Mm -hmm. And for any young man or any young woman listening, there is some, there's nothing you cannot place before God. He knows your life much more than you would know your life and he, he has it all sorted, even if you may not necessarily subscribe to that right now. So I remember praying for certain temperaments that I want in who my wife would be, what she might look like, and just wanting for her, for her to be able to serve God's purpose together in life growing up. And so at the right time, I met my wife, Pramila, and um, we got married. Uh, and um, another journey is starting from there on. Mm -hmm. But what I was always starting off is that wherever I am, I will serve the purpose of God and I want to serve the purpose of God in my own generation. So that has for me been a driving force in anything that I've ever undertaken that I need to serve the purpose of God in my own generation. Mm -hmm. And that will mean different things to different people. Um, but one thing that I really want to thank God for is that it's given me this amount of love for a lot of people that everyone matters and everyone counts. Mm -hmm. Whether I spend three minutes with you or I spend five minutes with you, I want to make it count yes. to say to you, you are important to God and God loves you and God cares for you. And so that has always been my own mantra in that sense is my all-consuming passion that everyone matters before God. And God has been faithful in communicating his love to others through that avenue. Hmm. No, no. Yeah, I, I, I think that is 
it's probably one of the ways I'm told most often I take after you is that sense for people certainly like I mean in part I mean you, you don't really start a podcast and call it on earth and make it about telling stories of people if you don't care about people so yeah it's, 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 it's cool to kind of hear that and I know I'm conscious of time, probably not of time to give all the stories that show that, but I think people who have met you or met me as a kind of extension of yourself have probably seen that at some point. Well, I pray they have, so that would be nice. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. So uh, let's, I guess, switch the pace a little bit. So for you, obviously you've lived through quite an, a number of cultural moments in that time. Can you pick maybe just pick one for sake of time but what what would you say is you know i don't know for some people like it's like where were you when 9 11 happened for instance but is there something is there a moment and to that do you remember and kind of going okay this is how i operate is no different yeah well i, I was i was um definitely about when 9 11 happens and unfortunately unfortunately for me 9 11 is my older brother's <laughs> birthday and so um, Uncle Lee's birthday, isn't it? Uncle Lee's birthday. Yeah. It was just for clarification, Uncle Lee at that time and still does live in New York. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that, that's his, his birthday. birthday. And so I, I remember trying to reach out to him, want to wish him happy birthday, and trying to figure <laughs> out that he's okay also because he actually works in New York City. And at that time as well, he works right by Times Square. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so there was um, a lot of trepidatious moment because every phone call was not getting through eventually you did get through mm -hmm. but um what i was always certain of is that he'll be okay and god will keep him and so certainly god kept him uh, and yes moments like that they do punctuate your lives and um, give you um a, a moment of reflection that god you've been so faithful uh, and for that, I, I thank God for sparing his life. He's now um, turned 60 and uh, we still call each other mm -hmm. each day and yeah. say, hello, how are you? How are you doing? How is the work? How is the practice? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, for that, I, I really want to thank God for. And um, what I am very conscious of is that in this time, I've finished my education in University of London, King's College, and I've now been working at different drug companies and then now we have relocated to Glasgow and um, mm -hmm. making another journey encountering another culture and another situation but what was for me like I said what was ever so clear before me is the fact that wherever I am I want to serve the purpose of God in my own generation Mm -hmm. I remember people asking me, why did you leave London? You lived a comfortable life there. You have a big house in Surrey. Why did you relocate to Glasgow? And I, I, I remember saying to them, I, I don't know for whom the Lord has relocated us to Glasgow, but I do know one thing. It's all in the plans and purposes of God for our lives. Uh, by now, we've become a father of one and a, a father and a mother to uh, our first our first and only daughter and um so we started our journey in glasgow and um continuing to serve god's purpose as it always has been mm -hmm. and so glasgow is um probably one city that we've lived the longest um now it's 23 years of living and 
um, making Glasgow and Glasgow environment is based for our lives. Mm. And of course, um, no sooner as we moved to Glasgow, <laughs> Nathan and Joseph were born. And uh, so their journey is Here just as much our own journey in Glasgow because they're- it's Pretty much the same time. Yeah, it is, it is. So yeah, so, and that's another chapter with the arrival of Nathan and Joseph, yeah. I remember, um, one of our friends was like, your dad seems to have this thing, why does it keep moving north? Why does it keep getting colder? I mean, you, did you, does your dad like the cold? I'm like, well, I don't like the cold. I mean, because they obviously, they kind of go, well, even London's a bit warmer than here, typically. And it's just kind of like, I guess it's funny thinking like we have actually made Scotland home and I, like, do you know what, wait, at this point, you can't imagine, oh, I imagine you can't imagine being almost anywhere else. So I, other than living in China, never had to do that either. I've always been here. And um, I guess, would you say that there was any, major cultural difference between even London and Scotland or London and Glasgow at that time because I remember mum always mum always quick to point out that like when you guys moved here there was like pretty much no other black families here almost at all and certainly there are more now and you know we know some of them but like typically especially in Hamilton where we actually grew up there was very very few yeah, the, that, the, there is that um, cultural difference that there weren't that many Black families in Glasgow City itself or in Hamilton where home is based. But what, what, one of the very first things that struck me and particularly is the fact that um, we are blessed with very great neighbours. Um, and the first thing that I, I recall from having been living in Cashalton in Surrey and when we moved up was the fact that the family selling the house to us arrange for us to come to a meet the neighbor's party before we actually <laughs> moved in, which was a good kind gesture of them so that we knew at least neighbors, neighbors to five neighbors to the left, five neighbors to the right before we moved yeah. in. We met at a tea party organized by the family selling the house to us. And I thought that was different. Um, yeah. it, it, it was unique in that sense that that's the first time I'm experiencing that. And it never seems to be the case in the South or the Southeast. And the very first weekend we moved in, I remember the neighbor to our left saying, um, we are going on a holiday. This is the key to our house. Do you want us to, do you want to help us look after the house when we are on holidays? And I'm thinking it's we've only met you, yeah. <laughs> we've only met we've only met them literally two days, and they've given us the key to their mm -hmm. house to help them look after it. And I, I thought that's um, the great neighbors that they are because I've been just met someone for yeah, two days yeah, and to well. give your house keys to them. And and I thought, okay, this is this is the right neighborhood where people accept you and trust you mm -hmm. to be a great neighbor just the same and we've been for the last 23 years great friends and neighbors so certainly uh, I, I feel that what the weather may lack in warmth is yeah. more than compensated for by the warmth of the people that we've met and continues to meet um, yes there are like in any other city that you might move into or any other town you will move into there are one or two ignorant people that you would meet who cannot understand you and so react so negatively to you. That mm -hmm. is there. 
but my own overall experience of moving to Glasgow, living in Hamilton, is that we've met lots of interesting people and we continue to, mm -hmm. both in church and outside of church. And it continues to be a pleasure to serve Glasgow City Church, of which I'm one of the pastors, because um, it certainly gives me an opportunity to give something back to the mm -hmm. city and to its people. And so for that too, I'm very grateful to God. Oh, that's really nice. nice. Yeah, we, we love our neighbors. And it's always, it's always the sort of fun of figuring out like what Marks and Spencer's biscuit tin have we not given them for Christmas? And we'll just go find it. I mean, it helps that they bring out like a new one every year, but it's almost like an exchange then the, the, the M&S biscuit chocolate pack, which is always good fun on Christmas day. Um, even sometimes, like you've popped around there once or twice on Christmas Day as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mind that after dinner. Um, great. Okay. Um, as we sort of float towards the end of this chat, um, if, if anyone knows me and my penchants for liking a chat, this is the man I get it from. So this could be long if we didn't put any sort of timing on it. But um, okay, last two questions then. Um, I guess. Who who would be out of all this time if you had an inspiration to pick from? If it's kind of like be like do you meant you've mentioned Grandpa and I guess is there anyone else that you would say like as their lives and of itself has really impacted how you live yours and I guess how you raise us at all? Certainly, oh people that are physically have lived on planet Earth that <laughs> would be number one mm -hmm. in terms of the legacy that is left me with. Yeah. Um, but if we were to talk more aesthetically and generically, I would say following Jesus Christ and his examples. Exactly. Uh, that, that is what I would say. But I've been guided by different philosophies in terms of uh, people whom I've observed their lives and their ways of living. And one of the things that um, I, I have come to um, appreciate is that one of the greatest blessing and opportunity that God gives to all of us is ability to influence the next generation. Mm -hmm. And um, one, for me, my greatest joy is, um, my philosophy is I would rather build up boys or build up girls as opposed to correcting men or women. Ah, okay. Because, um, and I, I really want to thank God for our lovely grown-up um, children, um, Lydia, Nathan, and Joseph, and the fact that uh, we've had a journey, but in that journey, is it's, it's a journey underpinned by love, mm -hmm. and there has been discipline moments too, yeah. but the for me, the joy is that to see each one of them growing up and reaching for their potential and making their ways through lives. We've had moments of, okay, you want to do this decision. What are the consequences of the decision? And you go find out and let's discuss why decision X is good or bad. Okay. Yeah, but it's given room for each other to go in that. And I really want to encourage um, a lot of parents that um, one of the things that we may probably not do so well is knowing when to let go and how to let go of our children as they grow up. Mm -hmm. And it's an act that we all have to learn. Uh, there's no perfect dad or perfect mom. 
but is knowing that you can walk through this journey together by continuing to talk to each other. I part of my decision along those philosophies um, making sure that every night when the children, when they were much younger, um, I go through their homeworks, we pray together, <laughs> I sign every homework. Uh, yeah, and when it's not, when it's not correct, I don't sign it, I leave it till the morning so they know when they wake up first in the morning, if there is a doubt on a particular question, it was not correct, they need to go over it. But that is to say to all of them that I am very much invested in your education. Oh, and and um, I make a point every morning, I'm the one that drops them at school, even though if we can't sort of collect them from school, we started the school day together. And as part of doing that is making sure that at the point when they were much younger, we only had one of us working. So that there's always one of us at home. And that's part of investing time in their lives and saying to them, look, you matter much or us. It's not just a case of bringing you to the world, but it's also giving you the best and helping you walk this journey of life together. And we're very thankful to God for that, that they are very accomplished um, women and young men in their <laughs> lives and they're making their way. And for that, we're thankful to God. Oh, well, that's, that's quite heartwarming, isn't it? It's quite awesome. Um, thank you, Joe. That's nice. Um, okay, are you, are you sort of, you've sort of um, blended my last two questions I guess together because I guess the last question for reference was has there been any lessons you've learned the hard way and kind of how's it really I guess that's sort of learning when to let go um well no, it's been nice I guess is there okay I guess the question I kind of like you you didn't see this one in the script but is there any story and I'm going to open this up because I think maybe it wasn't clear in the first episode but any any story that you wish you'd heard earlier or and I guess some people may argue that they learn all their stories and ways of living like right at the time where they need it most, but is there anything that you kind of were like, oh, I wish I'd known that earlier? Or maybe ideas, a story from a book, anything like that that you wish you'd, you wish you could have known earlier versus when you learned it now, haven't learned it yet? So if I were to cast my mind back, <laughs> um, there weren't any particular story that I wish I had known earlier, mm -hmm. but one, one, one thing that um, stood out with me, which is just an anecdotal story, was the <laughs> fact that um, I remember saying to Pam that um, I come from a family of lots of twins. <laughs> and till three generations wow. now, we have 40 sets of twins. <laughs> and um, so I remember when we were expecting Nathan and Joseph at the time we went show, but I said to Pam in the, in the fact that I have an auntie that yeah, has is twins. Yeah, two sets of twins and um, so many twins in the family that we may become parents to twins. And so when we went for the um, antenatal checkup and the ultrasonographer said, uh, okay, I see two heartbeats. Um, do you know that you are expecting twins? And we said, well, we were always conscious of the fact that those are real possibilities because we come from a generation of many twins. My great grandparents on my mother's side were identical set of twins with so many twins, brothers and sisters. 
and many generations of my mom with the second generations have a whole workload of things and those of my own generation the third said we have many generations of twins also so counting we have 40 sets of twins mm -hmm. and there are more to still come in as much as that just um something that is unique and but we're not surprised by the fact because statistics bears it out that the most um sets of twins have been born to the Nigerian nation. I don't know whether that's just something unique to Nigeria, <laughs> but that, that's something that is known statistically as well. So, uh, but we, we, we're blessed to have Nathan and Joseph as twins and we went to Nigeria and that's another big, big maybe for Nathan and Joseph, they went short at the time. Mm -hmm. I remember saying to them that in Yoruba Nigerian culture, Identical twins are venerated. Yeah, yeah. And so when we got to any checkpoints, whether it's airport, whether it's anything, everyone comes to force over them. Oh, twins, 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 twins. Yeah. And the, the, of course, I had this discussion with them that identical twins are venerated. If, if, more particularly, they are boys. They are venerated in the Yoruba Nigerian mythology. So it was nice for them to experience that, that everyone wants to bless them with something, give yes. them food or give them something, have a heart with them. Things. Yeah, so th those, those, I think that was a lovely moment for them to see, yeah. Is it sort of like hog spinning? For, any, for anyone that wonders what I think right now, is sort of hog spinning in my head of, oh yes, I have to really consider the fact that there's, if there's any chance I have kids in the future, they may well be twins, whether, expected or unexpected and um, that that I mean obviously that's that's a lot more fun in hindsight I can't really imagine that like because even if you told mum that it doesn't massively make me think that when the radiographer then goes it's twins like I, I imagine I'm going to say for my own sake that the first emotion is joy but then there must also be this kind of like okay it was, it was one thing to have one kid and they were going to have two like, does that, that surely must happen, even if you kind of accept that you were all no, we, 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 we really overjoyed. Uh, we were really overjoyed. And um, um, it, it, it's just the fact that there's two, 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 two people growing in, in mom's womb, but that we were really overjoyed. But we weren't surprised very. Uh, yeah. That's the thing, because we can't. So we were surprised uh, it would be more difficult, I imagine. We, we, we kind of. Um, just accept the fact that somehow we're going to get through this. Because when you have a two-year-old and then um, a set of twins are on the way. So we, we, we just knew that somehow we're going to get through this, but mm. um, we went daunted by the process. And that 22 years later, and so they're all grown men now. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Mom would say she was daunted by the process. Or maybe, maybe it's not daunted by the process at birth, but maybe now that it's 22 years, it's just like this. There's two of them and we love them, but there's just, there's just so much that like, yes. Uh, it, it, was, it was always a joy to look after all of you, Lydia, you and Joseph. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I, I also remember vividly about the fact is the fact that um, we, we took a decision, like I said, that one of us will certainly become a, a, a full-time um, parent. Uh, parent whilst one of us worked. Those were, for us, they were critical decisions to take because mm -hmm. um, we were very certain that it's best if one could do that, to do it that way, because instead of, we didn't want it to be large kids' kids. 
hits in Mark that thing. Hits. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't we didn't want it to be that, and we were pretty concerned that until you all started um, sort of um, university or just about to, mm -hmm. one of us was going to become yeah. a sort of permanent caregiver in that sense, whilst the other one works. And we really thankful to God for giving us the opportunity and the ability to be able to do that. Mm. Oh, that's, that's been lovely. That is, I think that's a nice place to leave it. So thanks for coming on. And it's, it's been fun. It's been special for me as well. And I hope the listeners have enjoyed this chat of storytelling of timelines of, of, I guess, coming to faith. I guess you still would describe it as coming to faith if you had a faith before. Was like, it's coming it to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, but like, I guess I, I think of coming to faith and I know it's for people I know it's only been from being an atheist to being a Christian rather than, it's just a unique situation. I haven't really thought about the terminology for that. Anyways, um, yes, thank you. So that has been my dad, Olive Pamolu, on this conversation with your host, Nathan Pamolu, son and father combo, father and son team on the Unearthed podcast. And so thank you for joining us. I hope you have unearthed a little more of life and the people around it today. Um, please feel free to reach out at our Facebook page at Unearthed Podcast and share your thoughts there. And if you've got a story or background or just, you know, fun tidbit that you'd like to share, please drop us a message and remember we are all somebody's neighbour and I'll leave you with that this week. Thank you guys. Okay, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Feel free to get in touch on the Facebook page at Honored Podcast and leave a comment, give us a like, tell a friend about us, and I'll see you all on the first Monday of December for another show where we'll be talking about the environment, politics, and how they link with environmental consultants and my friend, Daniel Masenga Grant. See you then, everyone. Stay safe.